So that's probably the first step is what trade are you trying to, to improve? And each of those might have a different um, amount of variation. If it's a mortality question, that's going to have an entirely different number of observations that you need if versus and typically more animals than if you were just doing a, a growth uh, evaluation. And if it's a breed doing evaluation, um, same story there. If you're trying to target total born, it's, you need a certain number of sows. If you're targeting ferroin rate, it's a different number of sows. So that's probably the most important thing is, is clearly stating what your objectives are in terms of measuring and, and what you're trying to improve. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every pig a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe and sustainable way. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about NutriQuest. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by service and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operations. Well, hello and welcome to the Swine It podcast. I'm your host, Laura Greiner, and today I have with me Dr. Caleb Scholes from the Mashoff. Caleb, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing really good. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, we're glad to have you here today. Um, Caleb, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving a little bit more of an introduction to our audience about who you are and kind of how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, so I uh, grew up uh, in southeastern Illinois and uh, grew up on a swine and grain farm. My dad actually still has a thousand sows at the home farm. So I, I grew up with a passion for pigs and and uh, continued that education to the University of Illinois, um, looking at her with a minor in animal science for my bachelor's and a major in, in ag business with a ag finance option um, with, with kind of plans to go back home and take over the family farm. But that got shifted a little bit as some of the uh, hard years of, of within the swine industry kind of forced me to look at other options and, and came in contact with the MASH option in the University of Illinois um, and the master's program that they had at that time to where I could spend some time working with the MASH office while I was earning my degree. And so that seemed like a really good fit. And Dr. Mike Ellis introduced me to um, that program and, and got me uh, signed up hook, line and sinker. And, and so I did my master's and PhD with Dr. Mike Ellis um, and then uh, went and worked for the Mashoffs after graduating. So I've been with the Mashoffs now officially as an employee for eight years and, and now lead their 
research and development team. And uh, my primary responsibilities are obviously to, to lead the innovation program here at the MASHOS and also for Acuity, which is uh, a new business that we just started um, offering genetic solutions to the industry. Um, so prioritizing which research projects we do, um, designing the studies, um, executing those studies. We got a team that's that works underneath me and does a tremendous job of, of executing those studies and then getting that in, innovation implemented into the business as well. So um, plenty to do and, and uh, always new things to, to try to attack and learn. Sure. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting and in a lot of people are curious when we talk about research within a production company, um, how much, if you can give us an idea of how much of the research that you are involved in actually stays internal versus how much you will publish with other groups? Because I know you continue to do work with universities. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I don't know that I have a, a percentage, but uh, a fair amount of, of what we do actually gets into the public domain. We obviously still have the relationship with with Dr. Mike Ellison, the University of Illinois. We, we work with uh, Iowa State, um, uh, Dr. Nick Gabler, we've, we've done some work with, um, and uh, Missouri NCSU. So we work with several universities as well. Um, and I, I'd say it's probably roughly 50-50 in terms of what we do internally versus what we do with through students. And uh, we try to get as much information out there to the industry that, that can be helpful as possible. At the same time, not giving up critical IP that we think could give us a competitive advantage. Um, swine production, the swine industry is a, a commodity business and margins are tight. So we all always have to look and try to maintain uh, an advantage. And that's one of the, the returns of an R&D program for a commercial business. Um, but when it makes sense and, and when we think the industry needs that information to, to move forward, we, we try to get as much as we can uh, into the public domain through abstracts or papers that we publish. For sure. We, we see the Mashoff's name on a lot of abstracts over the years. And so we do thank you for your support to the industry and in, in sharing that information. When we um, think about the production company and, and any producer for that matter, um, you continually have people come to you and, and communicate that they have new products that they want you to try, whether it's nutrition ingredients or pharmaceutical products or anything of that nature. How do you go about the process of making that decision as to whether or not it's a product that you want to put into a research project and actually evaluate? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. Um, there's no one single answer to that. It obviously starts with, is there a value proposition of the technology? Um, so we'd like to see technologies that have some R&D behind them already um, and have some, a, a decent data set that, that shows that there's uh, a potential opportunity to create value within our system. Um, we'd like to see some biological uh, justification for the technology. Um, if, it, if you don't have um, science behind it, then, then we probably don't prioritize it quite as high. Uh, but there's uh, additional um, things that we consider. Um, we only we do have a, a tremendous amount of R&D capacity. We've got five uh, technology centers that that uh, each house 7,200 pigs single stocked. So um, and over 1,500 pins of pigs on test at any given point in time. So we got a tremendous amount of, of 
resource capacity, but we still um, have to scrutinize what projects we do. So um, if a technology is a higher cost, obviously that has a bigger risk to our business. And we, we want to try to uh, reserve that research capacity for the highest risk, highest return projects um, so that we make sure, I mean, we look at ourselves a little bit as an R&D platform, as, as an insurance um, business for the mash-offs to make sure that, that we don't uh, implement technologies that are going to end up costing the system and not having a return on them. So, uh, but other things like uh, ease of implementation, um, that, that's another one that, that we really uh, scrutinize pretty hard. If it's going to require a process change within our system, we've, we've not got perfect um, execution around certain technologies that, that require a significant amount of process change. And we know there's going to be execution drag and, and we won't capture the full value if, if that's the case. So we just have to to take that in consideration and, and technologies that we can plug and play in the background without as much of a change to our, our day-to-day activities um, certainly get a little bit higher priority. Sure. And I think that's something too, when you think about whether it's a production company or an independent producer, it's where we all have our own little pockets. We have nutrition and we have health and we have environment and we have production questions. And so particularly in a production company, I've been in those meetings where it's, well, the production team really believes it's something that's really important that we need to do. And the vet team over here really has, you know, a couple of ideas and, and you're still finite resources, right? You have a lot of barns, but you still only have so many spaces to do trials each year. So how do you take all of those different disciplines and how do you create the priority for the year? Yeah, it's another good question, I think. Um, it's the only way to innovate is with getting multiple perspectives. And at the end of the day, you have to, to align as a group on, on what is the priority. And, and we have to wrestle with those things around the value proposition. What is it? What's the probability of success of that technology? Um, what's the implication if we do or don't do uh, that evaluation? Um, but getting the perspective of, of multiple disciplines to, to make sure that we don't implement something from a, a nutrition uh, that's not going to work with our genetic program or um, something health-wise that's going to impact our, our nutrition program, we have to always be challenging and, and working together because there are several interactions, um, nutrition by health, genetics by environment, health by environment that, that we've encountered over the years. And if we don't take take uh, each of the disciplines into consideration, then we could, we could have a, a big miss when they go to, to roll that technology out. I think the other thing is getting the perspective of the field team as well, the, the production staff that's actually gonna be implementing the technology, um, getting their perspective, because they oftentimes view um, technologies differently than some of the technical disciplines. So um, if you can drive innovation from the, the production team up, um, that, that works much better than trying to, to shove something down their throat that they may or may not want. Yeah, I can, I can remember when we started using PCAI in the system I was working in and we did the study and the production team was like, what are you doing? Um, and we're like, well, just trust us if this works, you know, and, and then it was, well, you know, just that process, right, of giving, getting everybody on board to say, okay, this, this works, this is where your advantages are going to be. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely critical that the, the field staff and the, the people in the barns are committed to what you're doing. Um, it just makes everything smoother. So when you think about doing research on a commercial farm, 
not everyone on that farm is typically dedicated to research, right? Some of the individuals that you have may truly be focused on the animal well-being and the general caretaking of the animal husbandry activities. So how do you get um, them on board? Because you're likely asking them to do something different than what is normal for their day. Yeah, so we we don't have any designated sow research barn, so that's probably a different layer, layer of complexity that um, I know you've gotten good experience with it at Carthage. So maybe um, pick your brain in terms of how you do that on the sow end of things. But on the wean to market side, we have obviously fewer people at those sites. We typically have three to four people at, at some of those big research barns that are working there fairly consistently. And we try to do a lot of cross training there so that even though one person's primary responsibility may be pig care, they still know how to do the other processes because weekend chores and and uh, when people have to, to take time off for various reasons, you, you need to, the ability for team members to step up and, and uh, help uh, outside of their primary responsibilities. Yeah. And I'm particularly thinking of like our independent producer, if they want to go out and, and run some trials in their wean to finish barn, Right. If they have a production manager or a farm manager, yeah. they might be looking for some insight on how to help how to help them be on board, especially if we're going to change their day or you know, cause them to be there a little bit longer to do paperwork type of situation. Yeah, when it comes to yeah, field um, evaluations like that, I think it's just really important to understand the why behind what you're doing. Just make sure they understand the the, the potential value that you could do from or generate from that project and the implications that they're going to have on the entire production system. Um, so getting that buy-in up front on the why is important. And then understanding, um, explaining why you have to do certain things to, to account for variation. Obviously, when you go into the field settings, um, sources of variation are, are pretty extreme, and you can end up biasing your results pretty quickly if you don't take into those, or at least understand what went on in the field. So good, good record-keeping good documentation and, and reducing some of the noise of those field evaluations is important. So again, just explaining that to the teams and getting them to, to buy in fully to what you're doing um, is extremely important. So you're at that point now, Caleb, you've, you have your studies, you know exactly what you want to do, whether you've prioritized for six months or a year, how do you start the process of designing that study? Yeah. Um, it starts with, identifying what metrics you're wanting to to target for to see an improvement so if it's a wean to market study that you're looking to improve average daily gain or fee conversion um, you need to understand what the variation is in the set in the research barn you're going to do the, the evaluation or if it's a field project um, what is the, the natural variation that you're going to see? And then we can do a power up test to, to make sure we get enough observations. That's probably the most important or one of the more important things is getting the study powered correctly because you don't want to dedicate a ton of time and a ton of effort and uh, not get the a statistical outcome um, just because you didn't have enough pens or, or didn't have enough animals. So that's probably the first step is what what trade are you trying to, to improve? And each of those might have a different um, amount of variation. Um, and if it's a mortality question, that's gonna have an entirely different number of observations that you need if versus, and typically more animals than if you were just doing a, a growth uh, evaluation. And if it's a breed to wean evaluation, um, the same story there. If you're trying to target total borneness, you need a certain number of sows. If you're targeting ferroin rate, it's a different number of sows. So, 
that's probably the most important thing is, is clearly stating what your objectives are in terms of measuring and, and what you're trying to improve. Then it just comes down to, to where are you going to do the evaluation and, and how are you going to uh, account for all the outside noise and variation that you could potentially see in a wean to market barn we have tunnel ventilated barns um, so the location in the barn is important so we try to block pins within a quote-unquote replicate um, in one location of the barn and we try to get the starting weights um, the same so that allotment process to remove all the outside uh, noise and, and within a replicate the only differences you really want are um, the differences between treatments um, so that you um, get as clean of an answer as you possibly can and don't end up with um, bias or a potential confounding in the end that could lead you down the wrong answer. So when you're one of the things I keep hearing you say is variation. So probably be important before you ever do a first study in your barn is to have some some replication in that barn to know what your average daily gain variation might be. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, it's it's really important if you're starting up a new barn, obviously you don't have that. You can probably get some some rough estimates from other people with research barns or, or other um, published data sets. Um, but understanding how pigs perform in your barns is extremely important. We've got a, a long history of, of understanding um, the, the coefficient of variation or the standard deviation of, of average daily gain, feed conversion, um, back fat, loin depth within our, our system. So we can power studies pretty accurately and, and not waste resources either because you don't want to have more pins than what you need to get the answer because every pin in a research barn is has value and you don't want to, you want to use those resources um, as, as uh, efficiently and smartly as you possibly can. How do you handle the infamous, well, we're doing this study, so we might as well collect this. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice to know this? So let's just, you know, go out and weigh the pigs one more time or collect blood samples. How do you address that? Because sometimes our studies can start really small. And before long, when you get enough people in the room, they get very large and they become really overwhelming from a, a data collection perspective. It is a challenge, and again, the more people you involve, the the more um, measures that you end up <laughs> collecting because different perspectives want to want to look at different things. At the end of the day, it's a resource constraint question that that you've got to prioritize. What what is your most critical ones, and then what can you afford to do from a labor standpoint? Typically, the incremental things you add um, may not be big by themselves, but you put everything together and, and it's a, a tremendous amount of work. It's a tremendous amount of work to keep the, the research barns functioning that we have. And, and I commend my team for everything they do, the hours they spend weighing pigs. Um, so if you're going to add something, add an additional measurement, uh, you need to make sure that you're going to get a return on that, that time that your people are, are spending on it. Yeah, we typically would argue back on what's the objective, right? Because a lot of the nice twos may not really answer the objective. And, and I get it when resources are finite and you only get two turns out of a barn every year, it's really nice to add more. But you're exactly right. If, it's, if it takes your team another eight hours to do something, you know, that may not be the right approach. So. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Every good research study starts with a clear objective that, that states exactly what you're wanting to go after and, and everything else is, is less important. So. That's where it starts. Yep. 
Yeah. And it always helps the team too. If there's something that comes up in the barn and they're, they're panicked that it could ruin the study. It's like, well, is it going to affect the main objective? And yep. if the answer is no, that kind of helps the team at least take a breath and, and get back to tackling what's going on. Yep. So the other question I have that, oh man, I get it all the time. And I still, we still have this argument around the table is when you do the marketing. So marketing can go all kinds of different directions, right, Caleb? Even in a normal production system or in a normal farm system, we have this argument over, do you take three pigs from a pen? Do you take only the heavies from the pens? Do you take whole pens? How do you handle that marketing component? Because how we market is going to definitely influence that carcass information that you're going to get. Yeah, it, it is one that we've debated uh, within the mash-offs as well. Um, I think from a data integrity standpoint, um, marketing whole pens is probably the cleanest because our biggest concern is we, we lose data at the plant. And even though we, we take great efforts to have people in the plants to, to collect that data, um, the more times you send pigs to the plant, uh, the more chances you have to for something to go wrong and things do go wrong in, in the plants inevitably due to all the moving pieces and parts that are, that are there. So, um, but with that being said, um, entire pen dumps don't necessarily replicate what happens in the commercial environment in, in our typical system. So we try to, to find that balance between making sure we're getting good quality data, but still having some sort of a marketing program that, that simulates real world as closely as we can. So um, whether that be two or three market cuts pulled from the pen, sometimes we, we've done more than that, but on, on a typical day, um, it, it's that two to three to four cuts per pen. And the other side is every time you add a cut, um, you're sorting pigs and adding adding labor to a research barn or, or a site that has a bunch of other tasks to already do um, above and beyond a typical commercial barn. So the labor is a, a key part of that decision as well. Um, but we do try to get as close to, to reality as possible um, and, and try to make sure we um, get still good quality data um, collected. Um, if, if, if it's better to collect uh, no data than bad data. So you have to draw the line in terms of what you think you can actually get pulled off. But um, we do try to keep everything consistent, obviously within a, a replicate or a block um, within our statistical uh, evaluation. Um, if, if we bury that between pins within a, a replicate or block, obviously that'll confound the outcome. So um, the, the time in which we market relative to harvest or sort of weigh pigs relative to harvest has to be consistent. So again, we don't introduce any additional uh, variation uh, outside of the treatment variation. It's a very good way to look at it. I think it's kind of one of those age old questions on, on how we do it. And if we do take whole pens, calculations, right, to start to estimate back fat and, and so forth start to, to come into play. But I think it's great insight. You're exactly right. No data is better than bad data every day of the week. The, the dynamic thing about um, the marketing period is average daily gain of individual pigs is, is most variable at the end of the finishing window. So um, especially as you pull the heaviest pigs out of the pen, that pen dynamic changes. Um, you've got intakes that are jumping and more variable than they 
they've ever been throughout that growing period. Um, and then you're increasing the floor space. If you're pulling pigs out of the pen, you're increasing the amount of feeder space per pig. So there's a whole bunch of dynamics at play there. And if, if you don't do some sort of a marketing program to simulate that, you could lead the, down the path that, that you don't get the, the true outcome. And there could be an interaction there with what's going on in that marketing window and, and whatever treatments you're looking at. So that's again, while it's important to try to, to simulate as, as close to reality as, as you possibly can. Obviously, if you're a system that's doing um, fixed time, doing an entire pen dumps, then you need to do that in your research trial. But a lot of systems do some sort of a marketing program where they're pulling cuts. Absolutely. And I think that a part that goes along with that is, you know, once we have the data done, obviously the whole reason why we're doing the trial is to look at the economics, right? Whether it's pig performance gets us fewer days in the barn or, or we get a heavier market pig so that we get a better price. The dollar is really what we're trying to understand in all of this. And so my question to you is how do you help people or how do you maybe look at the economics? Because you just kind of hit on it there for a minute in the summer when we're space limited, right? We're not so worried about days, we're just looking at gain. But then in the winter, we might be looking more at, you know, true carcass weight opportunities. So how do you start to interpret that data or, or manage through that thought process when you're looking at the end of a study? Yeah, um, so obviously your economics are gonna be system, somewhat system dependent. There's um, depending on how you're marketing um, your pigs is going to somewhat dictate um, how you place an emphasis on gain specifically. Feed conversion is, is pretty straightforward um, in terms of the cost of, of feeding that pig up to a certain weight. Um, but the value of gain is the one that changes um, depending on how you look at it, um, whether you're a fixed time or a fixed weight system. I'd say no systems are truly probably fixed time or fixed weight. There's some combination. And as you indicated, in the summer months when you're short on space, typically you're trying to drive weights as heavy as you can because market prices are high. So typically we, we become um, short on space and, and try to get their value gain more than what we do in, in periods where um, space isn't limiting and maybe prices aren't driving uh, heavier weights in the winter periods. So the value of gain can even fluctuate uh, between season and you just need to understand um, the cost of your space um, when on those certain times of year where, where space is not limiting uh, or, and then what the incremental pounds of gain is um, on uh, the periods of time where in summer, for example, where every pound is uh, that you add on the carcass is gonna be incrementally more value. So that every system is a little bit different in terms of that, that value gain, but it's important to, to understand that and try to, to dial that in as close as you can um, so that when you do get the study outcomes, you can apply uh, what we call marginal economic values for gain, fee conversion, those, those, um, the values for those individual traits and, and get uh, a good value proposition or understand what the value proposition is in totality for that, um, that project or that specific technology. Yeah, I think that's a very good way to look at it. Um, so sometimes our producers really just don't have the means, right? They don't have scales and barns to weigh pigs and feed systems that will tell them how much feeds delivered to each pen, let alone single-sided feeders to do that. And a lot of times we'll say, well, let's just use closeout data. So we'll just run a large number of barns, put the treatment in one half, not in another group or half of groups. 
how do you look at closeout data versus controlled studies? Because I think we're all kind of guilty of doing some of those we call field studies where we just look at closeout data. Yeah, I would actually say that that I mean field studies are important. Um, looking at closeout data is important. You just need to do it with the right set of lenses and and interpret it correctly because um, it takes a lot of there's natural variation again going back to the variation I'm beating that drum but uh, there's um, there's lots of variation with, between group to group even within a flow of pigs um, it, there's a lot of variation between group to group and for instance if just ran a power test calculation the other day if you want to pick up a one percent mortality difference um, looking at uh, barn as your experimental unit uh, you need um, even within a within a single flow uh, that that an example that I was looking at. So the same flow of pigs from the same south farm, you need 30 um, barns per treatment group to pick up a one percentage unit different. Most people don't go to that extent to where they're looking um, at 30 barns per treatment, but that's the level that you need to gain confidence, at least statistically. Um, now I realize not every producer can do that, and they have to to do what they can to try to make um, heads or tails of whether a technology is bringing value. I say the other um, opportunity is to work with people who do have those resources and, and try to, to collaborate as much as you can to and, and leverage um, university relationships, leverage um, other avenues to, to get that information because um, it's pretty easy to get uh, the wrong outcome if you just look at a small subset of barns, given uh, all the noise that's in closeout data. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is that, you know, you have to, those barns all need to be, and we used to argue this, should they all be from the same feed mill? Clearly, we want them to all go to the same packing plant if we're looking at carcass data. Um, you know, same diets, all of those things. And so it, it does become a little bit restrictive for people that maybe don't have yep. that type of resource. Um, the 30 is an interesting number. I was actually, we used to do 16 for average daily gain was kind of that number for barns. So I think 30 is really interesting because 1%, um, we don't sometimes aren't even looking at 1% mortality, right? We're looking at it's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, we're looking at a quarter or a half a percent. Most of the time we'll take a half a percent. And so, that was just in the nursery. So it, again, oh um, if you look at the finishing period, you need even more than that. Or the, the wean to finish period, you need more than that. So it's a tremendous amount of, of barns. Like obviously, if you have a system that has lower variation from site to site, then that number might be different. But um certain traits require and, and mortality is one that is an industry problem. So it's one that's relevant right now that how do we improve mortality? How do we improve health from sows to piglets to, to nursery age pigs? Um, it, it's a major area of opportunity and design and trials that give you the outcomes that, that are gonna be um, predictable and, and repeatable is, is extremely important. Absolutely. I think that replication is something that's so key in everything that we do, whether it's in the sow research or wean to finish, and, and you hit the nail on the head that it's not the same amount of replications for the same traits. And so, again, you have to identify what your objective is and what traits you're chasing to figure out what your replication needs to be. Yep. And I will say with regards to like field type work, I mean, if you, the more you can remove the, the sources of variation like the feed mill, like you, you mentioned, the flow of pigs. So oftentimes we'll do um, multi-roomed 
sites and, and put multiple treatments or maybe two treatments and we'll, we'll replicate that a couple of times at, at one site with four rooms, for example, and we can um, reduce the this room the room to room variation will be less than the site to site variation um, because those pigs are the same age the same came from the farms at the same time and you can balance that so the more you can balance the treatments and um, the the less you can get by with in terms of replication but it still requires a, a significant amount of resources to a significant volume of pigs to get accurate answers on many of these traits like survival in the field absolutely just a little while ago, you were talking about it, mortality being a biggest opportunity. What other big opportunities do you see out there for us? Getting, equipping people with technology to make more informed decisions is, is one that's, um, and then getting technology that, that uh, give us more insights into what's going on in the barns in a more real-time fashion. Uh, other industries have, have seen a more rapid uptake of, of technology than what we have in the swine industry. So I think that's a, a big area of opportunity to, to leverage existing technology. We don't need to start from scratch on some of this, but get technology that, that helps people make um, better decisions, more informed decisions, more timely decisions with, with information, whether that be sensors or just uh, real-time collection of the data that we track in paper today. Um, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there um, to capture um, because a lot of times, at least in, in systems like the mash-offs are similar size, there's so many barns um, within that system and, and we've got a lot of good people, but we just got to equip those people with the right uh, information so they can make informed decisions. I think that's so key. And as we continue particularly to see precision technology coming into the industry and even just our controllers and, you know, some of the technology in the barns today, there's so much information there that we can utilize and, and build from that we just need to find a way to get it centralized and, and make sure our people understand what they're looking at. You know, they, to have water records right there on a screen is, is wonderful for that farm manager to go, oh, look, water went down. We've got a problem, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, wonderful. So some key takeaways that I kind of picked up from you today is no good data is better than bad data. Um, certainly, we need to make sure we understand our objective and we need to focus on it. We need to understand the coefficient of variation to make sure that we're setting up the correct power, or the correct number of replications to best match our desires of, of understanding the data. And you know, also to really try to create that prioritization of your work and do so with a team approach, right? Not just the nutritionists in the room or, or the veterinarians in the room, but try to get a multidisciplinary group together to make sure that you're finding the things that are key for you in your system or your business today. Would that be some fair key points? Yeah, you summarized it well. Are there any big takeaways that, that you think are producers or our audience can can implement tomorrow in the barns? Um, yeah, just, I guess, don't ever stop asking questions um, and, and looking for ways to improve. I was just um, in some barns yesterday that that uh, they're doing a bunch of little things that add up. And it's oftentimes those little things that, that lead to, to superior performance. So um, just keep challenging the status quo and looking for ways to tweak. Uh, it might be a small change, but you know, if you do enough of those small changes, you can you can uh, see uh, significant improvements. But in terms of uh, actual 
research, um, I, I would also just throw out there that don't just settle with one trial. We've um, it's more or it's good to look at multiple data sets and try to leverage as, as many resources as you possibly can. Um, because one trial is just one small sample of, of what that real outcome is. Um, so we look at it and, and try to make decisions off of meta-analysis if we possibly can, because the more data that you have, the, the more informed your decision-making process is going to be. Absolutely. It is time to our famous three. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. Since 1970, Minitube has been at the forefront of assisted reproduction technologies, setting worldwide standards in reproductive technology and giving peace of mind to producers. Offering a full range of products and services, Minitube can increase the efficiency and reproductive health of swine operations. From the boar stud to the sow farm, learn more at Minitube.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Well, thank you, Caleb, for your time. We always have a few questions that we like to end our podcast with. So the first one I'm going to ask you is, What's your favorite swine resource guide? Yeah, no, this is, uh, I wish I had more time to read with uh, three small kids and, and a busy work schedule. I, I struggle to find time to sit down and read, but there, there's a few good resources. Growth of Farm Animals is a good book I've referenced multiple times. Um, I In my role, I, I reference some statistics books. Um, applied linear regression models has been one that I've leaned on quite a bit. Um, so th those have been good resources for me and in my role. Very good. So small kids, I understand that uh, having a family, it is hard to read. Uh, are there any non-swine books that you are currently reading or even some audiobooks that you're listening to? Yeah, um, just a few. So just got done with the leadership training um, program, uh, Illinois Ag Leadership. So um, some books we read in there, Crucial Conversations. Um, a few other ones, Five Dysfunctions of a Team was a good read here recently. So um, those are just a couple of good ones. But like I said, I wish I had more time to read and, and maybe some point in my future, I'll be able to dedicate more time to reading. Something beyond green eggs and ham, right? Yeah. <laughs> Several Dr. Seuss books. Yes. 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 <laughs> well, um, so I think our very last question here is, is really around when you think about people in the industry that are successful whatever part of the industry they're in, what traits do you find or are the common thread that, that you see in them that have allowed them to be successful? Having the right perspective and, and being able to, to approach things with the right context is, is really important. Um, and I think being able to connect with people, um, especially people that are actually doing the work, um, both communicate effectively with them and relate to them and, and be able to understand their, their viewpoint and be able to tailor um, your communication and, and approach to them in a way that it gets a positive response. Um, that's not always easy, especially for people that have been trained um, through the academic process. Um, but those that can do it effectively um, 
quickly uh, make a bigger impact um, within the swine industry than, than those that cannot. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I see our time is up and I, I know you have a lot of research to do yet today. So I do appreciate yeah. your time today, Caleb. And again, for the audience, this is Dr. Caleb Scholl with the Mashoffs team. So um, thank you again for your time and we wish you all the best. Well, I enjoyed the conversation and thank you for the invitation. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven week long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcio Gonçalves and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.